Today's reading is taken from Colossians 4, verses 7 to 18. You'll find that in your Bibles in front of you on page 1185. Tychicus will tell you all the news about me. He is my dear brother, a faithful minister and faithful servant in the Lord. I am sending him to you for the express purpose that you may know about our circumstances and that he may encourage your hearts. He is coming with Onesimus, our faithful and dear brother, who is one of you. They will tell you everything that is happening here. My fellow prisoner, Aristarchus, sends you his greetings, as does Mark, the cousin of Barnabas. You have received instructions about him. If he comes to you, welcome him. Jesus, who is called Justice, also sends greetings. These are the only Jews among my co-workers for the kingdom of God, and they have proved a comfort to me. Epaphras, who is one of you and the servant of Christ Jesus, sends greetings. He, always, he is always wrestling in prayer for you, that you may stand firm in, the, in all the will of God, mature and fully assured. I vouch for him, and he is working hard for you and for all those in Laodicea and Hierapolis. Our dear friend Luke, the doctor, and Damas send greetings. Give my greetings to the brothers and sisters of Lacedia and to Nympha and the church in her house. After this letter has been read to you, see that you also read in the church of the Laodiceans and that you in turn read the letter from Laodicea. Tell Archippus, see it, see it to you, that you complete the ministry you have received in the Lord. I, Paul, write this in my greetings in my own hand. Remember my chains. Grace be with you. Hello, good morning, everyone. And uh, thanks to Rusty or Rusticus <laughs> for reading all those names. Short straw, long straw, I don't know. He did a good job, though. Thank you, man. Uh, I'm going to pray. And uh, keep uh, Colossians chapter 4 open in front of you, if you would. That would help me out. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your great goodness in giving us your scriptures and... Uh, we want to be people who don't just hear them, but actually let them change us. So let them do that in our lives, we pray. Amen. Amen. As we begin, I'd be very curious to, um, to know what you really think we're on about here at church. Uh, I'm talking about beyond the building, beyond the activities, the services, the ministries that take place here, all the flurry of action. How would you articulate what our purpose is, what our real deal is? I'd love to hear how you'd describe it. Then again, maybe I wouldn't. Maybe ignorance is bliss after all. But what would you say is our real deal? Of course, you could ask a very similar question about the human body, couldn't you? What, what are we really made of? I know we dream dreams and we aspire to things and we fall in love and we grieve losses and we laugh at jokes. Uh, they all seem quite intangible things to me. What are we really made of? Uh, well, apparently 57% water so that we've got a lot in common with the average stick of celery. We're basically lettuce leaves dressed up nicely. Do you know that um, by chemical composition, 99% of the mass of the human body is made up of just six elements, oxygen, carbon, hydrogen, nitrogen, calcium, and phosphorus. And all of these elements except hydrogen were made at some point, apparently, during the life and death of a star. So what are we really made of? Stardust, apparently. Chemicals you could buy for around $2. I saw that once in a documentary with Morgan Freeman. And uh, he's played God in other movies, so it must be right. 
But if you look beyond our dreams and our hopes and our fears and our loves, things we laugh at, we're made from the dust of extinct stars worth about a couple of bucks. That's it. At least that's one way of looking at it. But if I was to go back to ask you that question about uh, what we're really on here, about here at church, beyond the buildings, the services, the activity, the discussions, the friendship, all that gear, all the stuff that you can see, wouldn't you say that what we're really on about is the great news of the gospel, that message by which God pursues the people that he made, bringing them back into relationship with him? We want to, here at St. Matthews, we want to grow God's gospel, uh, grow God's church, I should say, by that gospel. That tree there reminds us of that. That's the wonderful message that centers on the Lord Jesus Christ, especially his obedient and perfect life, the life that we ought to have lived but couldn't and didn't. That centers on his sacrificial death for us on the cross, for our sins in our place, as it were, and his triumphant resurrection from the dead, paving the way for our own resurrection to eternal life. That's that beautiful news that urges us to respond with faith to what God has done for us in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. And it's precisely this priority that is born out of a very close investigation of these last verses of Colossians that were just read to us, which we're understandably tempted to just skip over. Today is our last day, last week in this wonderful little New Testament book known as Paul's Letter to the Colossians. It is a book that we've consistently seen testifies that Jesus Christ is above all things. Uh, what he's done for us in his life and death and resurrection is far above all the handiwork of any other human being. Following him is superior to all worldly or human philosophies and following him affects all all aspects of our lives and I really hope you've enjoyed looking at that on Sundays and uh, bantering that around a bit on uh, in small groups during the week but today as we finish our study of Colossians we're going to see that the message about Jesus who is above all is at the center of our life together here and so we're very unapologetic about that being our real deal and I want to show you just a couple of things about the gospel from this last bit of Colossians the first thing I want to draw out from the end of Colossians is that the gospel brings together people. And, and I don't just mean um, people, I mean a vast and varied bunch of people. It's not just uh, about people, it's not just about the way that God draws people back to himself. I'm saying it actually draws people together and unites a wide range of different people. And that's the thing that you absolutely must see from those last verses of Colossians. When I finished in uh, my, my previous church after 12 years, this was the very passage that um, I spoke on, which might seem very strange because it, it looks like just a bunch of names, doesn't it? Funny names that we're not really sure how you're meant to pronounce, but as long as you do with confidence, it should be okay. So funny names, foreign places, very easy for the eyes to glaze over. Very strange thing to choose for a final message after 12 years. Partly, um, I was actually just happy to kind of roll with it it was where we were up to in the Bible. I don't want to interrupt the flow, so just kind of get on with it. After all, we're artisans, kind of workers, rather than artists. And it was just the next bit of road to be built. But then I discovered some really warming things about this next little bit of road. It wasn't just a list of funny names from foreign places. It was written testimony that the gospel brings together a varied bunch of people. And you can see that if you look closely at the people who are mentioned at the end of Colossians. So the Apostle Paul says that Tychicus and Onesimus are going to bring news about Paul. 
to the Colossians to warm their hearts in verse 7 to 9, to encourage them with news of how he's getting on. They didn't have email, they didn't have SMS in that day. Uh, In verse 10 to 11, Aristarchus is also a prisoner alongside Paul. Uh, We find out actually from the book of Acts, he was a native of Thessalonica. He'd become a traveling companion of Paul's for at least part of the missionary journeys. He was with Paul in uh, Ephesus in Acts chapter 19 when there was a riot and they seized Aristarchus and they brought him before the matting crowd. So that's Aristarchus. There was Mark, uh, probably the fellow known by the name of John Mark, the very same Mark who wrote the Gospel of Mark. And then there was another guy called Jesus who was also helpfully known as Justice. That avoids some confusion. And uh, did you notice that they are described as friends, co-workers, fellow workers of the Apostle Paul? Did you actually notice he was very particular to point out that, that they're from a Jewish background? Those three, Aristarchus, Mark, Justice, they are the only Jews in the squad of the Apostle Paul. But then you whip down to verse 12 to 14, and we hear about Epaphras, uh, and also Luke the doctor, and Demas, who are described in similarly endearing ways, but their names are Greek names, that is Gentile names. In other words, they would ordinary fall, ordinarily fall on the other side of that great racial dividing wall of the first century but they're brought together you see in the service of the gospel and the kingdom of God verse 15 the apostle can say give my greetings to the brothers and sisters at Laodicea and to Nympha and the folks that meet in her house because people in the early churches they didn't they actually didn't have churches they met in the houses of the wealthiest members of the congregation wasn't it in fact until the third century that churches acquired property of their own for the purposes of worship and so we hear uh, for example the Philippians met in the house of Lydia a wealthy businesswoman who converted to Christianity Uh, the Colossians they met in the house of Philemon and the Laodiceans they met in the house of Lydia uh, of uh, Nympha I should say in the next town and so the apostle Paul says well greet her uh, and greet the brothers and sisters who meet at her place you see men and women together you have uh, Onesimus there who's uh, mentioned in verse 9 he's a slave uh, in the accompanying New Testament book of Philemon the apostle Paul urges Philemon Onesimus's master probably the guy who owns the house the Colossians met in to free Onesimus release him from ministry so Onesimus was a slave he was a bond servant Aristarchus verse 10 have a look he's a prisoner uh, verse 14 Luke is a doctor and so you've got slaves um, and you've got prisoners and you've got doctors you've got all parts of the social spectrum who are brought together by the gospel of Jesus And there was evidently already a relationship between the Laodiceans and the Colossian believers because he says, oh, you guys say good day to those guys for me. Down in verse 17, you've also got Archippus, who's just kind of hanging around there. And look, I just think it's worth noting these various dimensions because we need to see and celebrate the fact that the gospel forges relationships between people who would otherwise not be together. Don't you think that in our society, the divisions are widening? And they're actually becoming more entrenched. And they're probably impassable. But I've personally enjoyed the way that even in our fellowship, you can see the gospel drawing together a varied bunch of people. 
male and female together. Do you remember last week, right at the front, right where I'm standing, there was Anglo, there was Asian, there was African, all singing music and leading us together. Been lovely to have Neville and Jack with us today. There are wealthy people here, there are poor people here. When outsiders come in, most of the time they can't even tell which is which. There's something that's quite delightful about that. There are people of different church backgrounds, different cultural backgrounds, different life backgrounds. There are surfers and swimmers. There are frequently disappointed Sea Eagle supporters. There are those who are yet to see the light and feel the pain. There are people from church families and there are people here who are the only people in their families who follow the Lord Jesus. It's a varied bunch that's in relationship together. And look, if I'm just to chart just the relationships that we read about in Colossians 4 and see the connections, this is what it looks like. It's a picture of being interwoven and that is worth reflecting upon, I think. It's worth celebrating. And actually, it's worth recognising that it almost certainly means putting up with some things that aren't to your personal preference. Uh, There are many things that I enjoy about life in this gospel community, but there are some things that aren't to my personal preference. There are things about my previous churches that I miss. And that's actually the way it ought to be. Because if everything is to my personal preference, there must be a whole lot of you for whom you're giving up your personal preferences in order to indulge me. And it seems to me to having, that having one or two things that don't suit me perfectly is a very small price to pay if the gospel can draw together a wide and varied bunch of people. And it can, and it does, and it's lovely. And so, uh, firstly, we see that the gospel forges these unlikely relationships between uncommon people, drawing them together. But uh, it, it doesn't just kind of, you know, draw us into a, a lovely, holy Uh, ragtag huddle it then deploys us back into gospel work it sends us into gospel service and friends it's worthy of our very best work I wonder if you um uh, when Rusty was reading it through I wonder if you detected that theme of work from today's reading because it really runs throughout and actually it, it functions I think as a practical enactment of what Nathan shared with us last week you remember he said last week we've just got to play our part whatever it is We've got to speak to God about people, then we've got to speak to people about God. But we actually see that out in the list of characters that are are contained in this final greeting of Paul's. Have a look, um, verse 7. Don't have a look up here, have a look in your Bibles. Verse 7, Tychicus, who was going to bring this letter from Paul to the Colossians, my goodness, has there ever been a more precious bit of cargo than that? Do you think Tychicus, when he's walking along the road, was thinking, man, um, in 20 centuries later, there's going to be a ragtag bunch of Australians considering this letter (laughs) in Manly? Don't think so, precious cargo. But Tychicus, he's called a faithful minister, a fellow servant. They're both working words. Aristarchus, he's already in jail with the Apostle Paul because of his work in the gospel. We've already talked about that when, when he survived the riot in Ephesus. Well, he didn't survive prison, or he didn't escape it at least. Uh, Aristarchus, Mark and Justice are called co-workers there, fellow workers for the kingdom of God in verse 11. I'll tell you something interesting about Mark. That's John Mark, cousin of Barnabas, verse 10. He's not only known for being the writer of the gospel of Mark, he actually had a spat. 
a ministry split with the Apostle Paul. Seems in Acts chapter 13, he chickened out of a missionary journey and he returned back to the relative safety of Jerusalem. So that in Acts chapter 15, when his cousin Barnabas said to the Apostle Paul, Oh, I want to bring cousin Mark with me. They had such a sharp disagreement that Barnabas and Mark went that way to Cyprus. Paul found another buddy called Silas. They went that way to Syria. They split. But happily, by the time Colossians was written, Paul is commending Mark. And in uh, later New Testament letters, he describes him again as a fellow worker and useful in ministry. And look, I think that shows you that we can have um, ministry disagreements and disputes and we can then be reconciled. Now, that's not always possible. It's not always appropriate. But oftentimes we can work through them so that we can keep working together in this great cause of Christ, the message of the gospel. Uh, oftentimes we'll bruise each other more from thoughtlessness than anything else. And there's got to be a way that we can push through that to reconcile so that we can work together for the sake of Jesus and his message. It even means that we can chicken out uh, and not be rendered useless forever. Or that great thing we thought that God was going to do in our lives might not happen. And that does not mean that we're useless. John Mark really is an encouragement to anyone who has stuffed up, chickened out, whatever it might be, in our first attempts to serve God. He didn't sit around and sulk. He got back to work and he proved himself faithful to Jesus and useful to Paul. I had a friend of mine who wanted to um, plant a church and he, in the lead up to it, he, he saw the last 15 years of his life as leading up to this moment to plant a church. And it lasted three weeks. It's a personally devastating but very happily, he didn't go, well, that's it for me. He just got back to work and he made himself useful. And he certainly is that and more. Well, Epaphras, have a look at uh, verse 12 to 14. He's praying hard. He's working hard for the Colossian Christians and the Laodiceans and the Hierapolans. Uh, if you remember our, in our first week in Colossians, uh, we heard Paul praying earnestly for the Colossians and for their maturity Last week, chapter 4, verse 2, you remember we were told to devote ourselves to prayer. Verse 12 here, it appears that Epaphras is doing just that. He's wrestling in prayer for the maturity of the Colossians. If you ever wrestled in prayer, I think it requires special clothing from the sound of it, don't you? We know from chapter 1, verse 7, Epaphras was the one that actually brought the gospel to the Colossians in the first place. And uh, we know from the book of Philemon that Epaphras is, is likely in jail with the Apostle Paul, but it doesn't stop him, you see. He's still working for the Colossians in the way that's available to him, praying that they would grow in their maturity and their assurance, wrestling for them in prayer. And then in verse 17, almost at the end, the Apostle Paul tells Archippus to complete the work he's received in the Lord. These are all different ways in which the end of Colossians shows us that the gospel which centers on Jesus is worthy of our best work. This week, uh, for those of you who listen to Radio 702, uh, they've been talking to people about their work and people have been ringing in, sharing all sorts of stories about what they do. Um, some of the stories have been wonderful, people who love their work and, and you hear people saying things like, uh, you find a job that you love, you'll never work a day in your life. At least it won't feel like it. <laughs> Gotta love the dreamers, don't you? 
Uh, but then you hear other people that, that share, you know, complaints about their work. We're understandable. Things are frustrating. I love to hear people who enjoy the work. It's a wonderful thing to hear. Um, and I don't like hearing when people, when work is miserable for people. It's a saddening thing to hear. But I, you know what I really hate? I really hate when ministers complain about their work. It's un- unbecoming. Not just, um, I'm not talking about little frustrations, because every job's got that. I'm talking about kind of deep complaints. Because it's always seemed to me that it's such a great privilege, at least personally for me, to pour my best efforts into um, sharing the scriptures with people, encouraging us all to live as wholehearted Christians. My grandfather, he wanted to be a minister, I think, but he couldn't afford the Bible college fees. Uh, and so he was a welder instead. And he worked on ships during World War II and around that sort of era. And they didn't have great occupational health and safety. It was a very noisy trade. And it sent him deaf prematurely. So uh, though it feels like a labour of love for me, it al- it's always felt a privilege. So I'd like to thank everyone who's ever um, contributed to an offertory or you ever topped up an appeal uh, or in the case of the wardens, ever they've signed a paycheck or in the case of Bruce, not firing me. <laughs> Yet, anyway... And I, and I do want, I want you to know that the team works really hard so that whatever you might contribute is not a waste of your worship, that worship of giving, nor an unnecessary sacrifice. Because the gospel which centres on Jesus is worthy of this team's best work. But actually, way more importantly than that, for all of us who are Christians here, the gospel is worthy of our best work. And we ought to heed the exact advice that is given to Archippus in verse 17. See to it that you complete the work. See to it that you complete the ministry that you have received in the Lord. You see, whether you serve as a small group leader or just a small group member, or outreach, you do ESL, you're involved in kids and youth ministry, you're involved in music, prayer, welcoming hospitality of many descriptions, any other kind of ministry, can you heed that instruction that's given to Archippus? Don't give up, man. You complete the work. You know, maybe your work... Just the stage of life you're in, maybe it's just the work of believing and not giving up. Maybe it's the work of obeying and praying hard like Epaphras in verse 12. Maybe it's encouraging other believers or respectfully proclaiming Christ to unbelievers. Um, It's not like the work is what makes us Christians, but it, it is the work that's before us all. And it is the work that is worth giving our best towards. So let us all complete the work that we have received in the Lord. That ministry is important. Well, friends, as we finish up today, the third and uh, final thing to say about this last bit of Colossians is that the gospel is bigger than any one person and it is far greater than our best work. And of course, that is because it centers on Jesus and on his work for us and in us. That last verse, have a look in Colossians, is interesting, don't you think? When the dictation stops and the Apostle Paul picks up the pen and he signs off in his own handwriting, remember my chains, grace be with you. No mistake is it that just as the letter opens, talking about the grace of God, his generous goodness towards undeserving people, that's exactly where it lands. I know it was the standard way of opening letters and closing letters of the day, but just because it's a standard greeting does not mean 
that he doesn't mean it. The way we start the Christian life, that is by the grace of God in the life, death and resurrection of Jesus, is exactly the way that we continue in it always. But what do you reckon he meant by putting those three little words in there? Remember my chains. Does he say that so that people will feel sorry for him? Does he say it because he wants us to marvel at what a great guy that he is? Or the supreme sacrifice that he has made? Why does he say them at the end of the whole letter? I take it it's not so that we feel sorry for him, nor that we're tempted to idolise him, but so we remember the reason that he's in chains. We remember the message, that gospel news for which he's imprisoned. So we don't forget that he's there only because of Jesus and his witness to Jesus. That somehow we might be encouraged. That somehow you and I might be challenged. Somehow you and I might be emboldened likewise to devote our lives to this beautiful, extraordinary message about the Lord Jesus. Um, I don't know if you know what a blog is. Some of you will. It's kind of like an online magazine or journal, really, like something you read on the internet. I don't follow many blogs, but I do follow one called The Minimalists by two, two American guys called Joshua Milburn and Ryan Nicodemus. And if you're not familiar with it, minimalism is this sort of idea where you just kind of minimize what you own and use and do. So you can focus on the things that really count. It's uh, kind of an attempt to not own so many possessions that effectively your possessions start to own you because of what it takes to, um, to buy them and store them and look after them and clean them and all those things. And uh, there are, are extreme minimalists. Like there's one dude who's only got 50 things. Right, let me ask you a question. Do you like tomato sauce and barbecue sauce? Great. That's two things. You've only got 48 left. <laughs> That's a bit extreme, isn't it? What if you like mustard as well? <laughs> You'll be very strict with your condiments, don't you? Uh, now, Milburn is not that extreme, but he hasn't got heaps more stuff. And he was telling the story of when he was on a book tour across the United States promoting his book on minimalism. And he's in an average sushi restaurant in North Dakota. Okay, so average restaurant, average state, when a stranger recognises him. And he, he, che- he wonders, have I now become famous? And he thinks, nah, it must be a friend who's setting me up. It must be a prank. And then he eventually realises that the, the girl who recognised him in this sushi restaurant is the real deal, and uh, she wants a photo of him and a signature on the book. And after they've had a little conversation about how minimalism has impacted her life positively, this is what he says. Then it clicked for me. It's not me who's famous. I'm not what's interesting to people. Rather, it's the message that's compelling, and I'm just the messenger. And I'm fine with that. Well, friends, I've already shared with you that we feel extremely privileged to serve here at St. Matthews. I imagine even in jail, maybe more so in jail, the Apostle Paul considered it a privilege to serve Jesus. None of us are famous. Dare say the Apostle Paul would never have considered himself as interesting to people. It is the message of the gospel of Jesus that is compelling. And we are all just the messengers, and I am fine with that. And I really hope you are too. That message is compelling. It draws us together. It engages us in its service. But it is bigger than any of us, and it's greater and beyond our best work. Because it is about Jesus, 
and his work for us and his work in us. And at the end of 10 weeks in Colossians and at the end of the day, when all is said and done, friends, he is indeed above all. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we do want to thank you for um, the Lord Jesus Christ, who is above all in himself, in his life, in all that he has done, in all that he continues to do in us and for us. We want to thank you for the message about Jesus that is compelling, which draws together a ragtag bunch of people who would not otherwise be together. It's a beautiful thing to see. Uh, help us to recognise that that necessarily requires that we put some of our personal preferences aside. And Lord, I ask that you might help each one of us to heed that instruction to Archippus to complete the ministry, whatever it might be, even if it's just the work of believing and not giving up, the work of praying and obeying, that we might all complete the work that we've received in the Lord. And we do pray this for the sake of Jesus and in his name. Amen. Friends, we are going to finish our time together by singing a final song. Uh, this is our offertory song. Uh, if you're uh, new amongst us or a guest, this is the, the place where you pop the little connect card in as the bags come around. But let's uh, stand and sing together. <laughs>